Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Levins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. <laughs> on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Anthony the Abbot. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. It's good to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app on this Wednesday morning. Today is the Memorial of St. Anthony the Abbot, who was called the Patriarch of Monks. He was born in 251 AD, retired to the Egyptian desert when he was 18 years old, and was the first abbot to form a stable rule for his community of monks dedicated to the service of God. St. Anthony's renown for spiritual direction prompted many many to uh, travel to the desert to seek his advice. As always, you can send us an email directly if you have any thoughts or story ideas, whatever you might have on your mind. I'd love to hear from you. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. I also want to remind you that the March for Life in Washington, D.C. is this Friday, just a couple days away. And again, this year, Relevant Radio is inviting you to Fast for Life in solidarity with the marchers. Take an active part Part in the march from your home or your office by praying and fasting for the protection of the unborn. Now, how are people participating this year? Well, Martha from Kimi, New Jersey wrote, I will attend morning mass, say extra prayers and fast where I can. No dessert and I'm going to stay off the computer. Good for Martha. Robert from South Elgin, Illinois says, I'll leave it at one serving of coffee. And David from Buena Park, California wrote, he's going to fast from complaining, uh, be extra cheerful during the day and smile at everyone he meets, uh, as well as uh, praying a memorari every hour for an end to abortion. And those are just a few of the examples of how some of our listeners are participating participating. You can uh, tell us how you plan on participating on Friday at relevantradio.com slash fast. That's relevantradio.com slash fast. And uh, of course, be sure to share uh, hashtag fast for life uh, on social media. Want to bring in our morning air team uh, once again, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, uh, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines here on this Wednesday morning? Well, hot on the heels of the Iowa caucuses, the campaigning is going hot and heavy in New Hampshire with the first-in-the-nation primary voting next Tuesday. President Trump there, after a big win in uh, in uh, Iowa, was uh, acting like uh, it was almost time to, to focus on the general election there. said, uh, we don't need to waste time talking about other candidates, got to talk about Biden. And that's uh, that's his viewpoint. Uh, polling in New Hampshire shows things fairly close uh, for the lead between uh, former President Trump and Nikki Haley. Uh, she spent a lot of time there. Uh, Ron DeSantis, not as much time as he spent in Iowa, uh, trailing far behind in third there. But uh, still some time to make up some ground with that uh, coming up on, on Tuesday, John. Well, Glenn, it was uh, it was super interesting to see uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on the stage uh, with uh, President uh, Trump. Uh, you know, we're talking about a guy that criticized him uh, for, for months 
Uh, and yet uh, the two are teaming up together, and he was quite enthusiastic on the stage uh, there uh, yesterday uh, in New Hampshire uh, with all those uh, New Hampshire voters. Well, like we've, uh, I think, mentioned before, you know, after a hockey game or a baseball game and the, the players are shaking hands and, oh, that's good sportsmanship, but football I, I I don't I don't take that as easily when they're you know hugging after the game. I don't know. I think it was more of more of warfare. It always surprises me. And in politics, uh, I, I guess we you know maybe ought to be a little more surprised sometimes. <laughs> they're getting along so well. Just literally the, the day after the voting in Iowa, but uh, that is the the state of politics. Another note about that too. They were hoping to have another debate or two this week before the primary voting. ABC uh, News trying to aim for one, but uh, Nikki Haley said she won't debate unless uh, Mr. Trump does, and he's passed on all the debates, seeing himself as being way ahead in the polls, so why bother? And so uh, there are not enough people left to have a debate, John. Yeah, that is um, amazing that that debate was was canceled. But uh, that's the state of affairs right now here in this uh, heated up uh, uh, primary uh, season. Um, I think uh, it's going to be interesting uh, how things develop here in this next week. Uh, Obviously, New Hampshire is a totally uh, different you know, state than Iowa. There is not as many uh, uh, conservatives, not as many uh, evangelicals. And so uh, I think Nikki Haley is uh, giving uh, the former president a a battle there in New Hampshire. Yeah, a recent poll had them uh, both even at 40%. And uh, speaking of polling, looking ahead to the general election, uh, matching up either of the three remaining Republican candidates against Biden shows uh, all three of them with a, you know, decent to, to slight lead. Uh, Nikki Haley polling at 53 to 45 percent over Biden in a general election matchup. Ron DeSantis 51 to 48 and former President Trump 50 to 48 as well. The margin of error in that CBS News poll at 3.1. So still uh, two of the matchups uh, within the margin of error and a long way to go. But uh, with a lot of focus on Republicans, uh, since that's where the primary race is this week, uh, looking ahead to the general election, uh, it looks like uh, Democrats uh, won't have a walk in the park. That's for sure. And, and again, these these polls, uh, are, it's still early, and it, it is uh, hypothetical for uh, any one of these three because uh, you still have to go through the whole primary uh, uh, process before you get to a general election. So even though Nikki Haley looks really good uh, leading Biden by eight points, uh, if she doesn't beat Trump, <laughs> there is not going to be a battle against Biden. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah. And then are the, the Democrats going to going to stand pat? Um, likely, but not guaranteed. So uh, yeah, lots to lots to be seen. Lots to be seen. Well, one thing uh, we do know, you know, we, we talk about uh, the switch between good guys and bad guys fighting one another one minute and on the on the same team the next. Uh, with Ramaswamy speaking up for for President Trump now, and I, I think uh, it reminds me a little bit of of all star wrestling or pro wrestling, the WWE, which. Uh, Handles a lot of that now. Did you guys uh, grow up cheering for for pro wrestlers at all? Um, I was never a really a big pro wrestling uh, guy, although I did, you know, from afar, you know, uh, remember some of the, of the big names out there. In fact, back uh, I remember back in my my TV days, I actually got into it uh, for fun. It was all staged with a guy named the Brooklyn Brawler, who literally picked me up uh, on the set uh, <laughs> on the TV set uh, back at my UPN fifty days in Detroit uh, after Fox. He picked me up and slammed me on the desk. Now it was all staged. He wasn't going to hurt me, but I'll tell you what, I mean, this guy was a big, strong, bruising type of dude. Anybody named the Brooklyn Brawler, can you imagine? 
Oh, do you have pictures of that, John? I do not. I'm sure oh. there's a video of it out there somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, okay, yeah. uh, relevant radio listeners, it's your job to find this. We need to find proof of this incident. It sounds amazing. That was oh. one of the goofier things I remember doing. And I was, you know, I was a little nervous because, you know, you get picked up in the air and slammed onto an anchor desk. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of uh, things could go wrong. Did you like? Were you wearing a, a luchador mask at the time, or anything? No, no, no. no, no. I was okay. just, you know, in your typical sportscaster uh, outfit, <laughs> uh, suit and tie. And... Well, suit and tie. So I know it's. Um, I'm not a huge wrestler, but I know it's customary to take off a piece of clothing, glasses, tie something, and throw it into the audience as a souvenir. Did you do that, John, or no? You uh, were in no. just a beginner class. No, okay. o- only the floor directors and the camera guys. So, so there was no audience. <laughs> Well, this is turning out to be a way better story. We actually were going to start out talking about uh, Hulk Hogan, actually, a former pro wrestler and been in a few movie and TV shows as well, but uh, credited with rescuing a 17-year-old girl from a car crash just outside of uh, Tampa International Airport on on Sunday night. Uh, He was driving with his wife and a friend, and they they witnessed the wreck, and he was able to get over there, cut away the airbag, and and get the girl out, and she really wasn't severely hurt or anything, and... uh, but the car had flipped upside down. And so uh, so good work for being a, a good guy. I remember in the old days, a lot of that, uh, the, the Twin Cities, a very uh, hotbed for, for pro wrestling uh, back in the day. And that's where Hulk Hogan and, of course, Jesse Ventura uh, got started and then ended up with the WWE. But, uh, yeah, he, Hulk, uh, one, one of the good guys versus the, the bad guys, apparently, there. So uh, saving the day and a bonus <laughs> Life of John Morella's story too. Hey, a, a great, great story on on the Hulkster. Uh, he he was such a character back in, in the day. Uh, obviously, a tremendous uh, professional wrestler. But I mean, his personality was bigger than life. I mean, he, I could just picture him, you know, flexing his muscles and pointing up to the sky. Yeah, <laughs> good old pro wrestling days, you know. And I think uh, many a many a kid is throwing his sibling off the couch, emulating some of those, you know. For sure. All right. uh, We'll have uh, more wrestling uh, tales coming up uh, next hour. (laughs) Thanks, as always, uh, Glenn. Sure thing, Jen. And uh, thanks, Sarah. We start every morning, as we always uh, do, in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. And uh, we uh, pray to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, uh, through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. We pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, peace in our families, and ultimately peace in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning here on this show. Wouldn't think of doing a show without the Holy Spirit. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. On Wednesdays, I always take a a brief moment uh, to remind you to pray to to St. Joseph. St. Joseph is a powerful intercessor, so go to Joseph, the head of the Holy Family. 
Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 2 Corinthians 6.2. The Apostle St. Paul writes, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As Catholics, we need to understand that our salvation is a process. It's a race, like a marathon. It's not a sprint. St. Paul reminds us that we were saved by grace and faith in Christ. We're working out our salvation in fear and trembling, and we will be saved if we persevere until the end. Today is the day of salvation. Let us begin. And we always pray with great confidence from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. You can always find us on social media on X, the former Twitter. Our handle is at Morning Air Show as well as on Facebook. Uh, and just a quick reminder, if you ever miss any part uh, of our show, you can always go back and listen to any one of our conversations or download and share any of our Morning Air podcasts on the new Relevant Radio app and at RelevantRadio.com. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for the latest news on the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Stay with us. There is much more to come on uh, this Wednesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. And now it's time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona from the Eternal City. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire with talks, tours, and spiritual direction, all centered on scripture, art, and beauty. They even have a special track to evangelize young adults. Visit truthandbeautyproject.com to find out how you, too, can make your life a masterpiece in just one week with John and Ashley in Rome. Buongiorno. Good morning, Ashley. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, once again from Roma. Hey, John. Buongiorno across the many miles. So, uh, Ashley, uh, what is uh, the latest uh, this morning with the Holy Father? What, what was uh, his uh, main message at his uh, Papal Wednesday audience? That's right. In fact, we have a little bit of a rainy Rome today, and indeed the audience was held inside the Paul VI audience hall, even though it's about 60 degrees here, believe it or not. But the Holy Father spoke about the virtue of pure love as opposed to the vice of lust. And he pointed out that sexual instinct is something that's celebrated by the church. It's never condemned by the church. And that falling in love is such a beautiful thing. He said that pure love, it can't be explained. It's something that can uh, that is just unre- unreasonable at times. He says this is where you idolize the beloved. But despite this, at times, this what he called garden of love can be infiltrated by evil. And this is when the demon of lust enters. He said that 
Lust is very dangerous because it destroys relationships and it robs individuals of freedom. And he spoke about the dangers of pornography in this con- in this context. He said that lust mocks the beauty of pure, universal, unadulterated love. And it takes a loving relationship going from uh, what he called a lovely dance to being in chains, to being a relationship that is bound by chains. And he said that lust is, is really an egotistic desire for possession and for immediate satisfaction. And he said, winning the battle against lust, one has to realize is a lifelong endeavor, but one that everyone should take on in a quest for purity and chastity. And then he prayed on with everyone there today asking that all hearts would always treasure the beauty of love. And of course, it's this love that shares in the mystery of God's unconditional love for all of us too. Well, I think that this is a really uh, relevant uh, message for the Holy Father because uh, I think uh, the reality of what real, true love is is so misunderstood uh, in so many parts of the world, especially in the the West. And uh, I'd be curious to to see uh, how uh, the media reports the words of the Holy Father because this is, uh, you know, something that you don't normally uh, hear about. It's true, and it's hard for many people to understand that we are called to go beyond that that base instinct. But I really love the the words that were used today. This ideal to strive for to to be in a garden of love and to be partaking in a loving dance. And so when that happens, of course, this is the natural fruit of that is, is harmony and peace and a beautiful relationship. So that's what we're striving for. And as Pope Francis pointed out today, it's a lifelong endeavor. Um, meanwhile, uh, the uh, week of uh, Christian unity has uh, come upon us. Uh, I believe it starts uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's something that we do mm-hmm. as as Catholics every uh, single year in uniting our, our hearts and minds uh, with uh, our brothers and sisters from all the other Christian denominations. That's right, John. Yes, exactly. It starts tomorrow and it goes through the 25th of this month. And Pope Francis, in in tradition, will actually preside at the second Vespers on the Solemnity of the Conversion of St. Paul, which is on the 25th of Jan. And various Christian communities will be present for that. Now, the week or this this concept goes back to 1964. This idea of celebrating Christian unity, and that was to a meeting between Pope Paul VI and the Orthodox Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople, and the Pope and the Patriarch embraced. And it, as Pope Francis pointed out, it all started with that embrace because it was from the next year that the two men lifted the mutual excommunications on their churches that had been on their churches since 1054. So Pope Francis said that that embrace showed a path of of walking together and working together. And the embrace actually managed to topple a wall of incommunicability that had been keeping Catholics and Orthodox apart for centuries. So the goal, what is the final goal, according to the Vatican of the Week of Christian Unity? Well, they say that the final goal is full unity amongst all Christians. And 
the idea is to, through this week, is to develop fraternal charity uh, within and amongst these different denominations. So the theme for this year, John, is you shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And there's going to be various reflections prayed throughout the week that were created by an ecumenical group out of Burkina Faso. And then uh, a few days ago, on the 9th of Jan, uh, 25 pairs of bishops were sent out. These were pairs making up one bishop from the Catholic Church and one bishop from the Anglican Church. And they they were sent out together to work on a charitable project together. So again, it's that idea of fostering fraternal charity. So uh, to give you an idea of of a major ecumenical event that happened in this past year, in our past uh, year, uh, calendar year, Pope Francis added 21 Coptic martyrs who were killed by the Islamic State to the Roman martyrology. And Next year, everybody's really looking to 2025 because 2025 will mark the 1,700th anniversary of the Council of Nicaea. And that's, of course, where we get the Nicene Creed from that we, that we recite at the Holy Mass. And um, so sure enough, the looking forward to that that anniversary that's coming up, it happens to coincide in 2025 with a year where the Julian and Gregorian calendars will align and both the both Christians and Orthodox will celebrate Easter on the same day in 2025. And of course, again, one of those goals and hopes of the week of Christian unity is that someday all all denominations will celebrate Easter on the same day. So these are some of the things that that we all can join in prayer for throughout this special week of Christian unity, John. And uh, this week of Christian unity uh, is really uh, based on our blessed Lord Jesus' prayer uh, uh, for unity, that we may all be one uh, as a witness to yeah. the world. Uh, we got a long way to go, but it's something that I know that, that the Church has been working on, especially since the Second Vatican Council, and it was uh, very special to all the recent popes. I always think of uh, Pope St. John Paul II, who used to talk about uh, the right and the left lung uh, of the Church. I'm talking specifically yeah. about our Orthodox brothers and sisters, who we have so much in common with. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And yes, so since 1054, we've had this divide. So it's been nearly a thousand years. Uh, But that means we just keep have to keep praying. And let's do that. Let's let's make that promise that this week, we will especially pray for Christian unity that they may all be one. Uh, Meanwhile, I understand uh, there's some uh, work being done uh, in uh, St. Peter's Basilica. Yes, indeed. It's been announced that the grand canopy designed by none other than John Lorenzo Bernini 400 years ago, this is the canopy that stands over the tomb of St. Peter himself. Well, it is going to receive a makeover. So sure enough, this is something that has been sponsored by the Knights of Columbus, and they've pledged $768,000. And what they're going to do is spend time in refurbishing that great bronze piece. So we're talking about the gilded angels and cherubs that are there, uh, the, the beautiful images from nature that are on that canopy. And it took Bernini nine years to create it, 
But in the next year, they are going to be trying to remove the dark coating that has landed up there just from the elements, just from normal everyday use. So the reality is that there's a particular microclimate within the basilica that is changed every day with uh, the the entrance of people in and out. So what they're going to do is study that microclimate and figure out how to best preserve this. So it's going to take about an entire year. It's going to take four weeks just to put the scaffolding up, believe it or not. And ten, about 10 experts are going to be working on it. They are experts from the Vatican Museum's restorers. And then in a year when it is unveiled for the Jubilee, well, John, we can expect it to just gleam and be quite a spectacle to see. Well, it uh, it is a spectacle to see uh, anyone who's ever been inside uh, the magnificent uh, St. Peter's Basilica has seen it. Isn't it called a baldocchino? What? Wow, your Italian just keeps growing, John. Exactly, the baldocchino, an excellent accent too. That's exactly right, and it's reminiscent of the idea of the canopy that would have been carried over a king if he was carried in procession, and of course. Very appropriate that it goes over that altar where the sacrifice of the Holy Mass occurs or the King of Kings himself. Exactly. And, uh, of course, uh, today is the Feast of St. Anthony the Abbot, St. Anthony of, of, the, of the Desert of Egypt. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I understand that there's uh, a big feast uh, on tap there in, in Roma. That's right. And in fact, just two hours ago, began a mass inside of St. Peter's Basilica, especially for farmers. And it was celebrated by the archpriest of the Basilica, Cardinal Gambetti. And afterwards, there was a procession down the Via della Conciliazione, that long street that leads to St. Peter's Basilica. And there were police and animals. And then there's all kinds of stalls that are set up in the little piazza in front of St. Peter's Square. And these stalls are containing lots of different animals. It was so cute. There's a a cow there today and a donkey and sheep and there's roosters. And it's because St. Anthony is uh, a patron of animals. And so sure enough, this is a day where people will bring their animals and the, the Archpriest Cardinal Gambetti actually is blessing all of the animals there today. And last night in a town not far from here, about an hour and a half from here called Benyaya, they had a great big bonfire in honor of St. Anthony Abbott. Imagine about 500 pieces of wood. They've been building the wood for about a week. It was a 16 by 32 foot area and they they lit it. There was a great procession with the, the local priest and animals. And then there was uh, music and a band and everyone pledged their love and fidelity to St. Anthony. And then at the end of the night, of course, they serve cookies, but not just any cookies, John, in the shape of a horse. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you know? That sounds like a, a wonderful uh, celebration for the other St. Anthony. Most people think of uh, St. Anthony of Padua, but this is way, way before uh, St. Anthony of Padua. Uh, St. Anthony yeah. uh, the Abbot uh, was around uh, in, uh, in the two and three hundreds. Uh, so uh, he is also known as uh, the, uh, the basically the, the father of monasticism uh, in uh, in the Christian right. church. So uh, he's a he's, uh, He's a big uh, saint, and uh, it's fitting that they have a a big celebration for them uh, there in Rome. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he lived in Egypt, he died in Egypt, uh, but he really has quite a following here. And in fact, there's a story, a little folklore that comes from the Veneto region that on the, the vigil of his feast day, so the night of the 16th going into the 17th, that the animals of that area somehow miraculously acquired the ability to speak. And so that's very much what's being celebrated as well. And so it became tradition that people kind of stayed away from their animals on that night, the night of January 16th, because ultimately they didn't, they weren't really interested in what they had to say after all. So sure enough, these are the kinds of things that are being remembered on this big celebration day. That is uh, something else. Uh, Maybe there were a few parrots uh, in there along with the animals. Oh, you know what? It very well could have been. Maybe that's what, maybe, now we know. Now we know. <laughs> there you go. Well, St. Anthony was doing uh, uh, a lot right because he lived to be 105 years old living in, in the desert. So uh, uh, we, we can invoke yeah. St. Anthony uh, the abbot yes. uh, on this day. Um, Ashley, as always, uh, th- thanks so much uh, for being with us uh, from Roma. Well, it's wonderful to be with you, John. Many blessings on you and all of our listeners, and have a great feast for St. Anthony Abbott. Thanks again. Grazie, grazie. Ashley Nerona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the new Relevant radio app or just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When we come back, uh, Joe Boland, the Chief Mission Officer of Catholic Extension, will be with us to uh, talk about parish partnerships in the U.S. So stay with us as uh, Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. It's good to be with you on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Forcers. That's 888-914-9149. Now, most of us as Catholics identify with our local parish, but we have to keep in mind that we're just part of the universal church, the worldwide family of God. When we're dismissed at Mass, we are told to love and serve the Lord. But what exactly does that really mean, realistically speaking, in practice? Catholic Extension Society has developed a program that offers parishes the opportunity to unite themselves with the church's missionary efforts here in the United States. In fact, in the past several years alone, nearly 500 parishes around the country have answered the call. Joining us live from Chicago, Illinois, is Joe Bolin, the the chief mission officer of Catholic Extension, uh, with much more of what it means to be a parish with a mission. Joe Bolin and his uh, team... uh, Collaborate closely with the 86 mission dioceses that Catholic Extension supports. Good morning, Joe. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again for, I believe, the first time here in the new year. It is. So I'll say Happy New Year, John, and thanks so much for having me back. Good to be back. Happy New Year to you, too, uh, Joe. I always wonder, how, how long can we keep saying Happy New Year here in this month? 
Well, I just did it. So apparently uh, up until the 17th, let's say that. All right. That sounds good to me. All right. Tell us about uh, this program that you and your team developed that allows uh, parish communities to to partner with uh, Catholic Extension Society. Yeah. So five years ago, we developed a program that would allow parishes to connect themselves uh, in solidarity, certainly financially, with um, a mission here in the United States. But but also would help connect them spiritually as well as, as brothers and sisters in the faith. And um, this whole program that we developed is kind of premised on this idea um, that a parish doesn't exist for itself. You know, a, a parish is not a club. It's one of the things that our president, Father Jack Wall, loves to say. You know, clubs are focused on their membership, whereas a parish, which is an expression of the church, is focused on its mission rather than just its members. And when a church is focused on its mission, good things can happen. And so we've created this conduit for parishes to uh, express that mission, uh, realizing that parishes are meant to transform hearts, lives, and ultimately society. So we've worked with parishes that you could call our uh, long-established parishes, um, maybe more financially secure get them connected with the missionary frontiers of our own countries. And we've found that this really just changes people's perspective. So what does it mean when, you know, say, for example, a parish in Chicago or New York is connected with a Native American mission, you know, that serves a community where some of the residents don't even have running water in our own country. Uh, Or they could be supporting a priest in Alaska that travels, not by, because you can't, but uh, in Alaska, traveling by snowmobile from village to village, offering the sacraments. Um, so these are the types of relationships that we're creating. And it, it's not just an opportunity for one parish to write a check to another, but for two communities with seemingly very little in common to grow together spiritually and to learn from one another and um, we found that some amazing things happen through this through this program. Joe, it's so easy uh, for any of us uh, who are in our nice, uh, warm uh, churches, uh, you know, in the suburbs uh, of big cities, and you know, we're totally disconnected from what's uh, going on on the ground. The reality in some of uh, these other poor areas, uh, the, the Native Americans, as an example that you uh, described. And so, I, I think this is a wonderful way for a parish to to be a connected um, with uh, those communities that, that need help. They do. And what we realize, though, too, is, uh, yes, we've got communities uh, that need help and, uh, you know, communities that are in uh, dire straits financially, but they're rich in faith and they're rich in creativity. And to see how they're able to do so much with so few resources is inspiring to the giver. And then soon the line between giver and receiver uh, starts to blur, we find. Um, And so, again, we've we've engaged about 500 parishes uh, just in the past five years or so in this program, and it continues to grow. And, you know, some of our parish partners, what they've been able to accomplish is is absolutely amazing. Uh, A single parish might be able to help build a new Catholic church in a community, in a place in the country where there was previously no presence of the church, uh, no, no, no physical church building, but there were Catholics. Uh, some of our parish partners have actually funded the core operations of an entire diocese for a year. You know, uh, places like Puerto Rico, which operate on so uh, little 
you know, a few, so few resources that a parish here in the United States might actually be able to help a diocese continue to operate and serve tens of thousands of people and instruments and the love of God to them. And so, but, but, and so those are some of the tangible results. But then again, there are occasions for transformation. Um, and in fact, many of our parish partners will actually travel uh, with Catholic Extension to go visit the people and the places and the communities that they're supporting. And that's where the real kind of eye-opening experiences happen, where they're able to meet people face-to-face. And Pope Francis talks about this in The Joy of the Gospel. He says, you know, uh, we need to run the risk of a face-to-face encounter. And when we do that, we're challenged by the pains and the pleas and the joys of other people, and that gets into our soul. Um, and he says it, it, it changes us. And that's exactly what we have seen at Catholic Extension through this parish partnership program. This encounter that occurs really transforms everything. It transforms perspectives. And Joe, I know that uh, in your travels, you've been able to see uh, firsthand the fruits of this partnership. I, I remember a while back uh, when you were in Puerto Rico uh, sharing with us uh, the great work of, of Catholic Extension in helping uh, Puerto Rico, especially after uh, the hurricanes and, and everything that they've had to deal with in recent years. Yeah. And we're going to be back in uh, Puerto Rico in just a couple of weeks, and we're coming with um, parish partners who are going to be with us, people from New Jersey and Chicago and I believe uh, Texas and California who have all committed to supporting either a parish or an aspect of the church's ministry in Puerto Rico. And the one thing that I always tell groups uh, when they're when they're with us is that even though I might have visited a place in the past, I always learn something new. I always see something new, uh, no matter how many times I I, I go to a place. And so these are are formational experiences. They're they're learning experiences. And they're ones that if we walk into with an open heart, they can truly, truly transform us. And we have seen it over and over again. And that's exactly what we need um, as a church, as a society, is is an ability to... um, to, to see others, not for the labels that we so easily attach to them, uh, but to understand them as brothers and sisters, um, and certainly uh, brothers and sisters in faith when we're visiting other Catholic communities. And that's precisely what, what these experiences uh, allow for uh, and, and enable to happen. Joe, is there any other uh, places that come to mind that, that really impressed you in, in terms of uh, how they're uh, being uh, transformed and, uh, and helped out um, in partnership with those uh, 500 parishes? Yeah. You know, uh, Pope Francis has a great line again. He says, you know, when we encounter different people, we experience something of the inexhaustible beauty of God because God has created uh, different people, different cultures, different, and that's always been the case for me. So whether I've gone to Appalachia, um, you know, the power of the experience when I go there is to visit a community where Catholics are less than one percent of the entire population, and yet they are one of the biggest forces of good and change uh, in some of the poorest regions of the United States. So you have these small little mission churches of maybe 20 people, uh, most of them all converts, who are having this outsized impact 
in serving people uh, who are in dire need. And to see that face of the church with so few resources, so few people um, have such an impact is inspiring uh, to me. And certainly when we talk about, you know, a place like uh, Puerto Rico, uh, to see the kind of hardship that they have lived through. And in the midst of all that hardship, I always say it's like the experience of Job uh, in Puerto Rico. You know, the, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, the economic downturn. And yet through it all, they remain faithful, number one. And number two, they remain joyful and hopeful in, in a bright future. And that kind of spirit, that is, is infectious. And that's what we seek to bring other people to that source of hope and inspiration, uh, hoping that their parishes, too, will see what we see at Catholic Extension every day in our work, uh, hoping that it will not only transform their hearts, but, but indeed their, their entire parishes. And, and that's what we found through this parish partnership program. We're joined this morning by Joe Boland, the Chief Mission Officer at Catholic Extension. Joe, I remember, I believe it was last year, we talked about the the Week of Christian Unity, which ironically starts tomorrow. Uh, How is this program of yours helping to unify uh, people uh, in a common purpose? Yeah. Unity, of course, uh, the the very prayer of Jesus, you know, for for his followers. it, it brings us together, certainly as a as a Christian family, um, as as a Catholic fa- family. As I mentioned, you know, we we live in a time where we love to throw up labels on other people, labeling people: you're this, you're that, you're in this camp, you're in that camp. And these partnerships really help mitigate those forces that so often divide us, whether that's distance or kind of, uh, you know, uh, socioeconomic uh, barriers, um, even parochialism, what they're doing is facilitating this idea of an encounter, uh, this connection with people who on paper are different than us. And when you come together in, in you know, uh, common purpose with people that are different, uh, all of a sudden, those things that we thought were these immense barriers between us start to melt away. And um, it, it's harder and harder to dismiss the perspectives, the pains, and the personhood of those that we meet. And uh, that's what's so powerful about this. And when we've brought parish leaders with us, we've had hundreds of parish leaders come with Catholic Extension, uh, experience the beauty of the communities that they're going to support through either a Lenten campaign or an Advent uh, campaign, whatever it might be. And they really open their hearts up uh, to these communities and see them completely different than they might have beforehand. And I really believe, especially in this day and age, uh, we need more of that. Uh, That's the kind of unifying encounter uh, that those are the kind of encounters that we need to foster as a church. And it's good for us, certainly as a church. It's also good for us as a society as well. Joe, how does a, a program uh, like uh, the one we've been talking about uh, with Catholic Extension help us uh, to embody what it really means to be Catholic, to be part of uh, the greater universal church? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, first and foremost, we're, we're realizing, helping people realize through this program, the church is bigger than just one place. Um, you know, parishes are an incredibly important institution. Um, they continue to be relevant in today's world. 
They are home base for us. That's where we experience the sacraments. It's where we experience church, the love of community. But a parish, too, is also a launching pad into something greater, which is the universal church. And, you know, it's funny, we're, we're writing an article right now that we're going to put in the next uh, issue of Extension magazine. And it's about this whole idea of the universal church and how really that is one of the most attractive things to this next generation of young people. Young people are really, really connected to the fact that the church is universal. In fact, there's, there was a study done that young people who have gone to World Youth Day for an example, uh, as an example, which is an experience of the church universal, after they have gone to that experience, they're four times likely to consider a vocation to priesthood uh, wow. for young men. And so we know that a program like this can help reiterate and reemphasize the fact that we belong to this cause that is greater and beyond just this one place. Even though we're grounded in this one parish, uh, the, the parish is really a launching pad to, to experience uh, a deeper side of the church, which goes beyond national boundaries, cultural boundaries. It is truly the gospel, as Jesus saw it, uh, going to all nations. And, uh, and that's the beauty of, of uh, you know, what it means to be part of a church universal. Joe, in the final minute, maybe a, a word of encouragement to anybody who is a church leader that might be listening to us, who might be thinking, oh, maybe our parish should get involved. What are the steps? What does it take to get involved? It's as easy as sending us an email. I mean, if you go to our website, catholicextension.org, and you just keyword parish partner, uh, there's a page right there uh, that you can go to with uh, some of our staff. Uh, that can begin to have that conversation with you. And we try to make it as easy and as seamless as possible. And and again, with the goal that this is going to be transformative for everybody that's involved, that's truly the goal uh, of this program. And we were very fortunate that, you know, a few years ago, it, it started with a group of pastors in Chicago who wanted to do this. And now it has spread across the country. And I think the reason why it's spread across the country um, is is because of the impact it's had. So anybody who's interested, please go to the website, catholicextension.org, uh, keyword parish partner, and um, it's, it's, it's a program worth looking into for sure. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you being with us this morning. Uh, we're with you 100%. It sounds like a fantastic uh, a program. Uh, thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. Joe Boland, the Chief Mission Officer of Catholic Extension. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called, As We Forgive Those Who Trespass. A verse I've been reflecting on a lot lately is Isaiah 43.25. God says, It is I who wipe out for my own sake your offenses. Your sins I remember no more. I've been pondering how God says He wipes out our offenses for His own sake and remembers our sin no more. I would have thought that God would say that He wipes out our offenses for our sakes. That makes more sense, right? Until I started thinking about the power of forgiveness, which we're called to do radically as Christians. If God forgives our offenses for His own sake, that should be a lesson in how we should forgive, not for the sake of one who offended us, but for our own sake. God knows that when we hold on to hurt and anger toward others, it doesn't hurt the other as much as it hurts ourselves. People who refuse to forgive others become bitter, resentful, and miserable people. 
Their refusal to forgive is like a prison that they live in, continuing to harbor anger toward those who hurt them. Contrast that with a person who can freely forgive those who wrong them. Even though they were hurt, they don't nurse hard feelings and wish evil on the person. Instead, they live in freedom, acknowledging the wrong that was done to them and deciding to extend mercy and forgiveness. This is actually what heals a person, not holding on to bitterness and anger. It doesn't mean they necessarily forget the wrong done against them like God does or to continue to pursue a harmful relationship, but it's easy to see that when someone can forgive another, it's to their own benefit. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up in the next hour here on Morning Air, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, will be with us to talk about trusting God and His will for us. Plus, personal success coach Dave Duran will join us to discuss the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they help leaders. So stay with us. There's much more to come on this Wednesday in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app.